some of you can try and text me and distract me as I'm speaking, um, which it has been known to happen, Pete Hamburg. Um the last couple of weeks, we've been, uh, we've been having this uh, Tuesday night Christmas countdown that Nicole has been organizing along with Leash, and, and some families have been coming out, and it's been a great time, and she said to let you know that this coming week, on Tuesday, they are going to be taking uh, the King postcards, like this, I can steal this off Jared, um, and they're going to take it around the neighborhood and do some caroling. Um, so if you would like to join them, there's dinner before, caroling, and then hot chocolate and cookies afterwards. It's a great thing for you to bring uh, your family to, or if you just want to come and do some caroling, you can do that. And uh, please take these with you. Invite somebody to our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be, uh, with uh, the team, we've got some wonderful things planned, and um, I'm looking forward to sharing the good news of Jesus um, so this is a great opportunity for you to invite your neighbors, your friends, people who ordinarily wouldn't come to church. Actually, think about coming to church on Christmas. Uh, that probably as Christians, we are far more concerned about what people might think than actually what people think when we invite them to church. And don't just say, hey, I'll see you there. Say, look, well, we'll meet and we'll go together and uh, maybe get some, a coffee or a hot chocolate or something before bring it to church. So please take one of these with you. Uh, we put lots of them on the seats, so it'd be great not to collect them at the end of the day. Grab them, take them, leave them uh, unsubtly around the city and uh, invite people along to our services. Um, one more thing before we just get into our messages here. Um, you may have, I'm sure you have heard about the challenges that are happening downtown right now with people who are experiencing homelessness and uh, some, some good things are happening as well as this tension between how do we best serve uh, our friends who don't have homes and, and how do we serve businesses. And, and there's just this tension that I'm sure you've, you've read about. One of the things that is happening that I'm very pleased to be able to share with you is Journey Home, uh, which I haven't got time to get into Journey Home right now, but it's basically an organization in the city that has been formed to help people who and do research and uh, strategize around the issue of homelessness in Kelowna, uh, Journey Home have identified a, a location. Uh, BC Housing have agreed to fund it, and Gospel Mission is providing meals. Turning Points is providing training and operational support. And one of our sister churches, Metro, is involved in the infrastructure of running this. So Jason Sabinger, who's the chair of uh, Metro, and I have been in touch this last week, and I was saying, look, how can we help as a church? What can we do to stand with you? Uh, and it's just great, the different organizations, faith-based, non-faith-based, uh, for-profit, non-for-profit, are coming together to actually try and provide some, um, some basically meals and warmth over the Christmas and into the new year. So a location has been found. They're aiming to provide 40 beds. This is a shelter. This is not a long-term answer. But the best way for you to help as individuals is to go to welcomein.org. I haven't got a slide, but welcomein.org. Welcomein and you can sign up there to volunteer. Um, and there are even some staff positions available there as well. Right now, Jason is saying that's the best way that we as a church can help them is by volunteering um, in, in that respect. So welcomein.org. And uh, they would love to train you and help you in how, to, uh, in how to come alongside our friends who are experiencing homelessness. One of the ideas is they're just setting up two big armchairs and they're looking for a volunteer to sit in an armchair and read. I was like, really? That sounds 
that sounds good. I mean, I could do with that at home. Uh, the, the idea is, is come, come grab a coffee, sit and read. The other chair is open for somebody to come with the understanding that when you sit in that chair, it's, it's time to chat. Just let's talk. Let's, uh, let's share ideas. Let's share stories. And I just think that's, that's a brilliant thing. So welcome in dot org. Right. Let's turn to the word of God, Isaiah chapter 9. We've been uh, looking at King Jesus, King Jesus. The wonderful thing about this scripture that I'm going to show you in a second is it's really a declaration of who uh, King Jesus actually is. Let's look at this one verse in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The classic Christmas card verse. The one that some of us could quote, probably a quarter of it at the beginning. We kind of fade off in the middle. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and then... And he should be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of, Prince of Peace. It's that kind of verse, right? It's one of those that we just have in the back of our mind. It comes out at Christmas and then we kind of push it back, just like we do with our decorations in the basement for the rest of the year. But actually, it's nestled in an intriguing part of Israel's history. This historical time was, a, uh, was ruled by King Ahaz. And I spoke at length a couple of weeks ago about King Ahaz uh, and the situation he was in. But very briefly, just to recap, King Ahaz was the ruler of, of God's people at that time. And literally at his gate, there was an enemy camped, ready to come and to destroy, enslave. And King Ahaz is in a desperate situation. And Isaiah, who is the prophet of God, the voice of God at that time, comes with this prophecy, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we talked about bad advice and, uh, and bad help, and so Isaiah comes and his help is this, King Ahaz, don't worry, it's going to be fine, in 750 years a baby is going to get born, and he shall be called, and you're like, okay, that's not the kind of help that I was looking for, I want immediate Help right now. And what Isaiah does in order to help King Ahaz is not to actually deal with the enemy at the gate. What he does is he provides a a picture, an encouragement of the king that is to come who will live within and will deal with the enemy within. And so, as you can read here, it says, The government shall be upon his shoulder. They're talking, specifically talking about Jesus. The government shall be upon his shoulder. So what kind of ruler, what kind of king will this be? And so he gives him four names. He gives him Wonderful Counselor, which is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So he's saying, look, this king will come with great advice and wisdom. This king will come with power. This king will come with love and care. This king will come with peace. That is who you need, King Ahaz. Because there will always be an enemy at the gate. There will always be a circumstance. There will always be a challenge. And so for many of us in this room this morning, that is our testimony. There is an enemy at the gate. There is something that we can point to, something that we can talk about, something that is, is there that seems to loom over our lives all the time. And it's, there's a promise in the Bible that says really clearly for Christians, and happy Christmas, but you'll always get persecuted. 
There will always be an enemy at the gate. There will always be a time where life truly shakes. And so to get rid of the enemy at the gate is actually not God's intention. God's intention is to point us continually to his son, the wonderful counselor, the one that will give that strength, that consolation, that comfort. And we talked about what that looked like, that he is the ultimate high priest because he sympathizes with us. He understands what it's like. He understands what life is like because he has lived it. Today, what we're going to look at is Everlasting Father. Now, those of you who are a little OCD, you'll notice that I have missed out Mighty God. That's fine. We're going to track back to that on Christmas Eve. Okay, so today we're, we're looking at Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father, one of the names of King Jesus. Everlasting Father. What's interesting about this particular name over Jesus is that he is called Father. And this has caused a lot of, um, of discussion, a lot of tension, a lot of uh, debate over hundreds and thousands of years. How can Jesus, if we are Trinitarian believing people, we believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we believe they are all equal, we believe that they are God, that Jesus is fully God, Holy Spirit is fully God, and the Father is fully God, but they're also three separate people at the same time. And, and I haven't got time to talk about the theology of that, but that's who we claim to be, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. He's not the Father. So what does that actually mean? Well, really, it's quite simple, is that when we as people come to Jesus and we accept him as Savior and Lord of our lives, he becomes like a father with us. It's as simple as that. He does not become the father. In fact, there's a heresy that surrounds the idea that the Trinity is not actually a Trinity at all. It's just one God. There's the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of the New Testament church. It's, you get baptized in the name of God, just, just one. We don't believe that. We believe in three separate persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But Jesus becomes like a father, like a father to us. So what is it Isaiah is really trying to communicate to us when he calls Jesus everlasting father? That Jesus becomes like a father. Remember the context. You need to remember the context. The lens that we're looking through with this scripture is there's an enemy at the gate. King Ahaz, there's an enemy at the gate. It's going to be fine because there's a king coming and he will bring good counsel and wisdom, but he will also be a father to you. So don't, don't pull in all the Christmas verses just yet. That it's just about everlasting father, Christmas trees. This is a real challenge, persecution, problem, tension, trouble at our gate. Everlasting Father. What is Isaiah communicating here? There's a theology called federal headship. Uh, it's, a t- it's a theological term. And uh, I was chatting with uh, Scott Campbell this week. And, and I was talking about how I actually think it's important as a church that we don't lose the traditional theological terms. Which is why you will hear me talk about righteousness and justification, imputed and and sanctification. And these words that are important, let's not lose them just because they sound a bit complicated. Uh, They're beautiful words. And, And this theology is perhaps one you've never heard of. It's not used often, but it's federal headship. Basically, Christmas is all about federal headship. Federal headship. So, happy federal headship, everybody. Because that's what we're moving into. We're celebrating this 
this beautiful uh, truth, this beautiful doctrine called federal headship. It's a strange term, but it really means something very, very important. And if we can grasp this, that Jesus is our everlasting father, that this comes under this theology of federal headship. But before we get to Jesus, we need to talk about another father that is mentioned in the scriptures, one that we all can very much relate to, and it's Adam. Federal headship basically is, is this uh, doctrine that says this, that, that Adam is like a father to us and we inherit certain aspects of his fatherhood from him. He's our head, if you like. It's our headship that something gets passed down through the generations to us. And the scripture makes it really clear what that is that we can thank Adam for, especially in Romans uh, it says, Paul says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Happy Christmas. Death, sin, more death spreading. Not just death, but death spreading. Makes it even more sinister. That's federal headship. It's the idea that, that Adam is the father of mankind, of, of humanity, and from Adam, this strain of sin has come through, passed from generation to generation. We don't like this idea because any time we talk about sin, especially at Christmas, happy Christmas, happy Federal Headship Day, um, that, that we, we get uncomfortable with it. But the reality is we know this is true. And so Christmas becomes even more beautiful when we actually recognize the Christ in Christmas. You see, in Isaiah chapter 9, there's this beautiful statement about there being darkness and light coming into the world. And so you only know something's really bright if it's surrounded by darkness. The light becomes even more beautiful in the dark, right? To say, oh, there is no darkness, actually does away with the need for light. I mean, this is not a difficult concept. I'm preaching to you now, and I'm seeing this beautiful star that is above John and Ingrid's head, quite right too. And uh, so all the star leads to John and Ingrid. But it's, it's great. There's this, this glow. There's a light in the, in the dimness at the back there. So to talk about sin at Christmas actually makes Christmas even more beautiful. To talk about sin and darkness at Christmas makes the hope even brighter. And so through Adam, we have this sin that's been passed down, this federal headship, this, this from generation to generation. And we know this to be experientially true. There's a struggle in our world. Those of you who have children know that they're just born with this propensity towards doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. Now, I often get criticized as a pastor, preacher, dad of using my children as examples from the pulpit. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use myself as an example. Proof that all you need to do is spend a few minutes, maybe not minutes because they're gorgeous and they're wonderful, but a few hours with a two-year-old to know that federal headship is very, very real. Very real. That we've never sat down and taught our children to disobey or, or, you know, hit and scream and as they get older, lie. We've just never, it just comes out of them. This is thanks to Adam, it's federal headship. I uh, was trying to think of a time when it would be a great example of a, t- of a, a situation that I know for myself. 
Um, I remember this day quite well, and I have shared this story before, but there's a number of new people in the church, so you're welcome as an example. I was about three, four years old, so this was in the in the early 90s, <clears throat> and uh, thank you, Lyndon, extra loud laugh there. Uh, it was about 1973, uh, no, five, Ooh, I'm not that old, 1975, something like that, and, and my dad, we lived in this house, um, and my dad was busy at work in the backyard, my dad was a police officer, and, uh, and so he was always on call, always kind of ready to pick up the phone if need be, and, uh, and so he was busy this one day, his day off, painting uh, the wooden window frames in our backyard. Now, um, we don't do an awful lot of painting of wooden window frames anymore. It used to be, so how many of you used to just be, uh, used to be a regular thing that you had to do? On, is that a Canadian thing or is that just British? Just Boyd. Thank you, Boyd. I see that hand. That's one person raised their hand. Yes. Um, you use, you use something called, in Britain it's called gloss, oil-based paint. It's very important. Oil-based. This doesn't wash away with wo- water. This takes, uh, it takes kind of liquid paraffin or something like that, a little bit more substantial. So my dad was painting the back windows, uh, and, uh, and he got called in to take a phone call. And so I was left in the backyard with, my, with this paint bucket and a paintbrush, along with my dad's brand new motorbike. Just sat there. So I thought, you know, why wouldn't you? think, okay, I'm going to do what dad does. Got the paint, painted his bike. It was a long phone call. Managed to paint his bike. Where's my mum and dad? They are here. They're right at the back. I assume my dad's forgiven me. You forgiven me, dad? Yes, okay. Painted his bike. Then his helmet as well. His gloves. And for good measure, the shoes that he left by the back door as he went in as well. And I was sat there probably covered in gloss paint, feeling very happy with myself. Nobody has taught me to live my life like this. It just comes, I know, there's this sense of, you know, this is just wrong, but it's just there. And so my dad comes out, and he just celebrates the artist that is within me. It's ironic because, that, you know, that's, that's a large part of my life has actually been design and art. So it probably started at that moment. But I, and the thing is, is because it's not water-based, it's a problem getting this stuff off everything. And I don't know if you ever managed it, I'm sure that you were still finding gloss paint all over that stuff for many years to come. Our children prove this concept of sin. It does. And I'm sure you can think of times with your own kids, or even in your own life, where there's just this propensity towards doing stuff wrong. Where does this come from? It comes from Adam, the scripture says. The consequence of that, though, needs to be noted. Please understand. There is a consequence. And it's, the consequence is actually spread, is, is said twice in this verse. There's death through sin. Death spread to all men. Now you need to think about death in a couple of different ways. There is one thing that is 100% guaranteed with 100% success rate is that you will die. You will die. Unless Jesus decides to come back before that, you will die. And as a pastor, I've been in situations many, many times with people who have got loved ones who are dying. And there's something inherently wrong about it. It feels wrong. It doesn't matter what the 
age is. And I've been there with some very young ones as well as some very elderly. It just feels like death doesn't belong in our life. And the reason it feels that way is because it doesn't. We are not designed to die. We're not designed that way. So there's this ultimate death that our design seems to rub against. But there's also another kind of death that every one of us sees and perhaps has experienced in their lives every day. And it's this ongoing feeling of death. That there's this light switched off. That there's been this perpetual, constant leaning towards sin or decisions. And there's a consequence to that. And Romans speaks to this. There's, this. there's this ongoing feeling of death that the spirit dies, the heart dies, the life dies, even though the person is still living and breathing. We can see that around us. And maybe you have experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing that today. That it just feels like, oh, that is a consequence of sin. Now, you might be going, okay, do I feel this way because I have sinned? Maybe. But oftentimes you feel this way just because that's the world that we live in. That's the world we live in. It's a consequence of the sin that came through Adam. So that's the federal headship when it comes to Adam. So our father Adam gives us death. Let's switch the light on. Please, Pastor Glenn, let's switch the light on. Christmas happens. Christmas happens. King Jesus is born For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Light turns on. A new father is given to us. A new God, a new strain, if you like, a new life that Jesus came and he never inherited this sinful nature. He never got that strain. He never got that nature that every one of us in this room has been born into and with. That every human that has ever lived has been born with this sinful nature. Jesus never was born with that sinful nature. How do we know that? It's because he was born of a virgin. Now the idea of the virgin birth is very problematic for lots of people. Because they say, well, that's, that's just not possible and, and everything else. And I, and, I, and I have spoken about that before. I'm not getting into that this morning. Enough to say this. Please, Christian friends, be very careful with any author, preacher, teacher that questions the virgin birth. And you'd be surprised that some of the very famous and well-known books that people are reaching to in our Christian bookstores and buying off Amazon are from people who question the virgin birth. Why is that a big deal? Because if you question the virgin birth, you are questioning the divinity of Jesus. And if you are questioning the divinity of Jesus, you're actually questioning whether or not he was sinless. And if you're questioning whether he was sinless, you are questioning about the power of the cross. And if you're questioning that, then you are questioning everything when it comes to the faith and the gospel and the story of Christmas. See, the virgin birth is just not some cute myth that has been brought up through the generations. And by the way, every story that that atheists especially point to saying that Christians copied the story of the virgin birth from something else, all those stories originated after Christianity, after Jesus was born, sometimes many years after. And so the virgin birth is a profoundly beautiful, important doctrine that we need to fight for because the declaration of Jesus being born of a virgin means he was sinless. He was perfectly obedient. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. God the Father was his dad. It's so important. He was born 
sinless. He never inherited the sinful nature. He was spotless. He was innocent. And he walked in complete obedience his whole life. And so we're told in Romans, for if, because of one man's trespass, Adam, federal headship, death reigned through that one man. And I think we can agree that that's what it feels like in our world sometimes. Some of you have been to places in this world where death visually reigns. You've seen it. You've treated them. You've helped them. You've cared for them. And that, as thankfully, because of our healthcare in this country, is not something we see as an epidemic. But let me tell you, death reigns on our streets in a myriad of different ways. Through that one man, I love these two words, much more. No matter how bleak the darkness is, the light is brighter. Much, much more will those who receive. So it's not a given Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So death reign, life reigns through the one man, Jesus Christ, federal headship. Jesus Christ has given us a new nature that when we believe in him, when we receive the gift, when we actually submit our lives to the one called Jesus, not in a just a kind of a a Bible camp Uh, periphery way, but an actual you are Lord of my life way, when that happens, your nature changes. The sin nature, the Bible says, is gone. It's dead. The new nature, the life, the light, the righteousness, the joy, the all the promise that Jesus brings becomes yours, this free gift of righteousness, and you are able to reign in life. So let's go back to the enemy at the gate. The enemy at your gate, my friend, will always, always be there. And, and I say this purposely, not in a swearing way. God knows our week as a family. There's always an enemy at the gate. Always. And they come in a different ways. But the enemy that's within, the Adamic state, as the scripture calls it, this sin nature that we're born with is dealt with through Jesus Christ. That the enemy within, that darkness, light, shines through the one man, Jesus Christ. This gift of righteousness can be yours if you receive it, for those who will. Because Jesus never, ever had the consequence of death through sin in his life, but he still died. He still died. He said, no one takes my life from me. No one takes, nobody gives me death because I am outside of death. I have no sin nature, but I choose to give my life. I choose to give my life for those who are coming after me, for those who were before me through faith. That righteousness and new life can be theirs. He never earned the consequence of sin, but he still died. He was sent for this purpose. That is what Christmas is about. Jesus coming, shining light into the darkness is Him coming with the purpose of ultimately giving us the ultimate gift for those who receive it. This free gift of life. The ultimate gift. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift The perfect person took the death that we were born with. For those who believe, the death that we were born with 
This perfect person took that and paid the penalty, took the consequence of this sin in our lives and then gives us free life because it's very, very important you notice this one word. Remember, he is everlasting father, eternal father, forever father, depending on how you want to translate it. Forever and ever and ever. It's a very hard concept for us to understand and I've given illustrations in the past. I haven't got time this morning, but that forever... Like I think about my age now and I think about what I was doing 10 years ago that seems five minutes ago. In fact, 20 years ago doesn't seem that long ago at all. Um, You know, there are great, I don't know if you have this problem, but there are great chunks of my life I just don't remember what I was doing. Like three years, I'm like, what what were we doing? Where were we living? We had this conversation the other day. I, I, I have to remind myself that we'd been married almost three years before we had Zoe. I'm like, I have no recollection of those three years. What did we do? Yeah. (laughs) It was great. Very memorable. (laughs) But like, just time goes. You know, the Bible talks about about life being a vapor. Just gone. Remember that illustration I talked about a few months ago when I took my boys to the cemetery? Great dad trip out. And we talked about the dash. Year they were born. The year they died with a dash in between. That life comes down to that. See, we weren't born for that. We were born for eternity. We were born forever, which is why death feels wrong. Because you won't die. You won't. The physical dies, but you won't die. And so when Jesus comes and Christmas celebrates this, he says, look, the free gift of God is eternal life. Not eternal death. Eternal life, light, righteousness, joy, peace, that you will live on a new heaven and a new earth. We're not going to spend eternity, friends, flying around like angels in heaven, singing all day. That sounds awful. And it sounds awful because that's not what you created for. You were created to feel the grass through your toes and the the sand in your hands and the wind in your hair and the smells and the touch and the taste. That's what you were born with. And that is what you'll experience on this new earth. Perfect, beautiful, incredible new earth that is amazing now. So imagine what it's like when sin and death has been taken out of it. Where no tear will be shed. Where joy will be complete. Where peace will reign with King Jesus on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever. Eternal life. For you, free gift. For those who receive it. For those who receive it, no, you know what? I think I can do life by myself. I'm just going to struggle with the enemy at the gate by myself. Eternal life. The perfect person took the death we were born with and paid the penalty. In a few minutes, we're going to go, I'm going to spend some time around the communion table. This incredible symbol that the Lord Jesus himself gave just before he died as a as, a, as a, an illustration of what was to come for him, that he was going to give his body the bread broken. He was going to shed his blood, the wine. And he said, take and eat and, and remember, remember what I have done for you. Remember this free gift. Remember this eternal life. Remember the light shining in the darkness. Remember that no matter how loud the enemy might sound, that inside you have free life, that if I am for you, no one can be against you. Remember, He is our everlasting Father, our forever Father. You will never experience death 
And your relationship will get, will just with him will get better and better and better and better. For God so loved the world. We've already heard it in the reading this morning in Advent. That for God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. This free gift for those who believe. For those who believe. In 1 John 3 it says this. Behold what great love the father has lavished on us. I don't know what. When I think of lavished I always think of cream. Is that just me? Like a big piece of cake. And then you've got a bowl of cream. Sometimes when you're at a party, the bowl of cream can be like this big. I've been like, we used to have uh, like carveries in Britain. I remember this one carvery I went to where you get a piece of cake and at the end of the table was the bowl of cream and it was like this. I just felt like tipping my cake in it and taking the cream, lavishing cream over. Like it's just overabundant, just in excess. Like I don't think I'm going to eat this, but I will. Just much more. Do you remember that in that first scripture I showed you? How much more will your life reflect? Life, not death. He lavishes his love upon us. He says, you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. You are precious in my eyes. I wonder how many just don't feel that. Yeah, but Glenn, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand what has been done to me. You don't understand the situation, the, the, the things, the shame, the, the, all that that's gone on in my life. You don't understand. And I'm saying to you, as a child of God, you are precious in his sight. He hates the sin. The sin causes separation. But he loves the design. He loves you. You are precious in his sight. You are honored. I love you. Look at this one. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Have you seen? Um, I, so you may have found out in the last couple of weeks that uh, Hannah and Chad are expecting a baby. I'm assuming that was public knowledge, Hannah. Where are you? It is. Whew. Just a wave of panic just came over me then. A lavish of panic came over. Yes, so Hannah and Chad are having a baby. I'll guarantee you, because I've seen it many times and we've experienced it, when that little one comes along, like, uh, has anybody seen the baby? can't remember where I put it. Like, the mum especially, the dad for sure is like, the mum especially just knows every part of that baby's face. Every little wrinkle, every little fat flap on the leg where bits of food get in between the folds. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Where you get thankles and the rolls and every little bit. You're just like, you just know every tiny little aspect of that little baby. God is like that with you. God is like that with you. He has compassion. I will not forget you for those who have felt forgotten. Those of you who have been abandoned. Those of you who have felt that, that you've just been left behind, the God, the Father, that Jesus Christ, like a father, says, I will never forget you. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. For many, we need to learn this verse. That when he looks at you, he doesn't recoil with an I told you so. But he leans in with an exultation, with a rejoicing, that he sings over you. What's the song that he sings over you? Some of you might be thinking, oh, I know, something from Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin. That's the way I feel. 
But you know what? He sings joy and peace and love and righteousness and beauty over your life because you're so precious in his sight. That's the father we're talking about, that Jesus loves us like that. For those, why would we refuse a free gift from the one called King Jesus? I put this one in especially for some, and I'm not going to say who. That made my day. Thank you, John. For some, it takes longer. It takes longer for him for some. But every aspect of your life, he is intimately, he knows everything. And yet, still loves you. Still sings over you. Still exalts over you. Christian friend, that is the King Jesus that we have decided to follow. For those of you who have never done that, that is the King Jesus that is offering you this gift. He's compassionate and he is gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He literally, we read in the scriptures, cannot be happy until we are near again. The prodigal son. For those who are his children, these promises are real. For those who are his children. So that becomes the ultimate question at Christmas. For those who are his children, those promises are real. They are right. They are true. They are never changing. They are yours. And oftentimes we forget them. Oftentimes we move away from them like the prodigal. Oftentimes we wonder. Oftentimes we just get distracted with other things that we think are glittery and shiny and will give us that which actually he alone can only give us. And we'll get distracted and we'll move away. But those promises, no matter how far away you are from Jesus, if you are a child of God, those promises are true for you this morning. However, the question becomes, are you a child of God? I would be giving you a huge disservice. It would be actually sinful of me to give you the impression that all those promises are true and amen for you if you are not a child of God. Does God love you? Yes. Did he send his son for you? Yes. Absolutely. But that ongoing, beautiful, free gift of righteousness, that reigning in life, that abundant life is only for those who are his children. But the good news is, To all who have received him, Jesus, and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. One of the things that I struggle with as a pastor, and I have for now for many, many years, is the idea with an altar call. There's some of you who are old school, kind of Pentecostal, like, just like, let's altar call. Every Sunday, is there anybody in the room? And sometimes when you hear me do it, it's because I specifically believe that God is requiring me to do it. But most often, most often, I actually love to throw the gospel out and to let it land and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only He can do. And so oftentimes that's in the quietness of our own heart. Oftentimes that's in a conversation with somebody else. Does that mean altar calls are wrong? No. I just find... That in my experience of almost 30 years of ministry, that people most often become Christians in the quietness of their own heart, sometimes sat on the side of a hill in a room by themselves. Do, okay, I'm going to say it again. Does that mean everybody who's come forward in altar calls is not a Christian? No, you did not hear me say that. I'm just saying for me and the ministry the Lord has given me, I love to throw the gospel out. 
Charles Finney, the great revivalist, he altar call, altar call, altar call. That's all he did. And thousands of people became Christians. It's wonderful. And then you look at George Whitfield. He never gave an altar call. He just presented the gospel. But thousands of people became Christians. So God can do it in myriad of different ways. But what I know is this. You need to receive and you need to believe wherever you do it. This is not something that happens in the final, like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. Have you received Jesus is Lord of your Savior. Have you believed that he is Lord of your life? Have you confessed it with your mouth? Because if you have, you're a child of God. That's the good news of Christmas. That's everlasting Father. That's eternal Father. The love of the Father. Him becoming your Father is not automatic. You have to receive it and believe it. He is the perfectly loving, forever Father. For unto us a child is born. Happy Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. And so we have this this wonderful opportunity, gluten-free at the back, this wonderful opportunity to share communion together as a family, as a church family. You and I as Christians, for those of you who are children of God, we are bound by a commonality that is thicker than family blood. It's the blood of Jesus. We're family. And so as a family, we can gather around the table like a good family would around a big meal. And, and Jesus, in Jesus' time, they would have laughed. They would have enjoyed, probably poked fun at Peter and, you know, done stuff that you do. As, and then he would have quieted everybody down. He says, you know, friends, this bread. And he would have pointed to the sacrifice that he was about to make. And that's what we're going to do now. We're pointing to the sacrifice that Jesus made. And we're going to worship him. And Luke and the team are going to lead us in a time of worship as we do that. But even though this might be a sobering, reflective time where the scripture says that we're to reflect and examine ourselves, we do it with rejoicing in our heart that this is a gift. But is it a gift you have received? Is it, no, you know what? I think I can figure this thing out myself while all the time knowing that death is reigning. Or is it a gift you have received and you've walked away from? And it just feels like the enemy at the gate is so loud. And it's the time to come back to the table and bow your head perhaps and close your eyes and thank him for the King Jesus that he is, the Father, the forever Father who loves you, who gave himself for you, for those who receive it, for those who believe it. You have the right to call yourself a child of God. Let's pray. Oh God, reading your word, meditating on your scripture brings life to a weary soul. And Lord, I stand here as someone who is so grateful, so humbled that you would choose to love me, that you would choose to give your life for me. This gift of righteousness. And Lord, we as your people sit now with our heads bowed, reflecting on the enormity of this truth. That Lord, I pray that by your power and by your spirit, that you would embed this truth in our hearts in our spirits, and our souls, that, Lord, our minds would follow. 
That, Lord, I pray that as your people, your family, that we wouldn't just brush aside this on a daily basis, but, Lord, we would soak in it. That, Lord, that you are our God. You are a perfect God. And you gave your life for us, this gift of righteousness. Lord, I pray we would never move past that. That, Lord, we would preach the gospel to ourselves. Sing it. Pray it. Speak it. Write it. Think about it, that, Lord, every part of our lives would be oriented towards you, King Jesus, for you are truly worthy of our worship and our praise. And, Lord, I pray as we come to your table now, that, Lord, that we would remember that love, that, God, that I have fumbled in my attempt to try and express of how deeply you love us. That you are the Father with the open arms, ready to receive us, ready to hold us, And Lord, I pray that your people who have wandered here this morning, Lord, as your scripture says, come to our senses and head back to the Father who loves them. Lord, I pray that as we come to your table and all that it represents, it truly would be a time of worship. Lord, I pray for those in the room that Pray for those who are our loved ones, those who aren't here, Lord, those that we feel connected to, who don't know you, who aren't children of God, who are kind of trying to figure out things themselves, that, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. That, Lord, that even though they may have spent years ignoring our words, that, Lord, they would not be able to ignore your whisper, your woo, your call. And Lord, I pray for those who may be in the room that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of the gift of righteousness. Today would be the day that they submit, receive, and believe and be eternally changed. Oh God, let that be our worship. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Luke and the team are going to lead.